enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest states these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my team. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chevam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is just so much fun. We have our brand new USA national champion in the 100-mile road race. It is none other than our good friend, Stephanie Flippin. Holy cow, did she just kill it in Nevada last weekend. It was absolutely amazing. It is just, um, I don't know what to say. She is a marvel in every way possible. And I was so excited to get her on the show to talk to her, talk to her about all the things that went into this race from a training, planning, and execution perspective. Also, this was a really cool experience because this past week I launched the private Rambling Runner Facebook group, Facebook group, I should say, is the Rambling Runner Community Corner. And in that group, what I'll be doing is whenever I can do a, um, a show where the guest is totally fine with us having an audience, I'm going to have a live audience remotely on the show. Basically, what you do is you can just kind of like peer in to our, it's not, it's not Zoom. We use Riverside FM, but the, um, Basically, you just zoom it. You basically can just like watch the call for all intents and purposes. I can't really spit it out, but that's exactly what happens. And you can get in the chat box. You can ask questions uh, during that experience. Also, in this private Facebook group, what we're doing is just there to support each other. So it is uh, it is a community. The people who love this podcast have formed a community over on Instagram. But Instagram is kind of a hard place a little bit um, to kind of get that kind of back and forth engagement. You certainly can get it in the DMs a little bit, but... This is a little bit more of a 360 comprehensive model. And, um, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook. I'm not going to lie. Uh, the only reason I ever go on it is for like the two or three Facebook groups that I really enjoy. Like Ali Feller has a great one as well. And I love being in that Facebook group. And it really inspired me to create one of my own. In addition... The second part of this episode, because it is a Friday, so we have the Running Between the Lines segment with Ashley Mateo, who put out a really interesting piece earlier this week about walking as a part of um, a part of your training plan and something that can be a useful part for so many athletes, not simply something to do uh, with your dog, which is obviously not a bad thing, not just simply something to do when you're recovering from injury. Again, that's not a bad thing either, but something a little bit more calculated within your training regimen, and I was so excited to talk to her about that. So first, let's get into it with Stephanie, and then we'll talk to Ashley. Stephanie Flippin, welcome back to the show. It is so exciting to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is um, truly remarkable. I, you just won. I'm not sure I get this right. The the, the title of it, the, the USATF Road 100 Mile National Championship out in uh, Nevada. Yeah. First of all, congratulations. That is absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. I mean, did you ever think that you would be the national champion in any endeavor no whether it's tic-tac-toe or, <laughs> no. or some sort of athletic feat no no this it definitely wasn't like on my radar or a specific goal that i'd set no it, it definitely was not so <laughs> that is it is so wild um you were on here um you've been on this show plenty of times we had you in the first season of road to the olympic trials as well um you came on last time which you after you won uh tunnel hill 
100 mile. You ran that in 1555, which was, you know, that was so much fun to talk to you about that. A lot of people were excited to hear um, how you had trained for that. Obviously, you had done that during COVID and, and all of that. And here you are <laughs> almost lopping off over an hour after off your 100 mile uh, time over at Tunnel Hill. When did this race um, get put on your calendar? When did you start thinking about this one? That's it. That's the, there's kind of some irony behind that. Um, so this race, um, extremely well done, um, put on by, um, three wonderful race directors, Ken, Stephanie, and Lee of Beyond Limits, um, running, they put on tons of, um, awesome events. Um, so this race was actually slated to go, I can't remember the exact date, but it was sometime in February. I want to say like mid to late February. Um, so it had been on my radar, um, Tons of records have been set um, at this race in the past. Um, you know, it, it, American record holders. Um, you know, it's it's a very competitive um, and well known um, you know road race, uh, road ultra. Um, but w- with the initial date um, being in February, I just thought it was a little bit too early for me. Um, it, not necessarily from like a physical standpoint, but from a mental standpoint, um, I typically don't like to turn around, um, and do like another hundred miler, um, that soon, um, tunnel Hill was, um, mid November, I believe. Um, so at first I was like, you know what, you know, I I'll probably have to save this race for another year. Um, and then as, um, you know, we all know how things with COVID have been going, um, the race was actually postponed, um, uh, I, I don't know exact reasons why, but was postponed, um, you know, until this past weekend, April, the weekend of April 23rd. Um, and once I kind of figured that out, um, I had been kind of maintaining a base. Um, I wasn't necessarily like training specifically for anything. I was just keeping up with things. Um, I mean, my, when I say maintaining my base, it was probably a bit like higher mileage than is, um, typically would be like a healthy base for me. But, um, so about, I want to say like seven weeks out um, from the race, uh, my husband Mitchell sat me down and was like, okay, like you've been running, you know, high mileage, you know, like for, for base mileage for quite some time, you've been still keeping up with workouts and things like that. He's like, I think it's time for you to race. Um, I think you need to commit to something. Um, so yeah, you know, we were on ultra sign up and, um, we had seen, you know, that the race had been postponed. Um, and it seemed like a really good fit, um, for what I'd been doing. Um, you know, and I, as I so enjoyed my time at tunnel Hill, it was incredible to get back into racing, um, as well as returning to the hundred mile distance. Um, but I was also, um, you know, I was left feeling a little bit like it was an, it was an awesome day, but I didn't think that I ran to my, my potential. I hate using that term. It's kind of cliche, but I didn't think that I ran to my best ability on the day, um, simply because there were so many, um, you know, kind of adjustments to the race. There's no pacers allowed. Um, it was such a, um, a, um, smaller field, um, to where, I mean, it ended up kind of being like a hundred mile, like time trial for me, just cause I was alone the entire time. Um, I, I didn't, um, you know, the, the men's field was, um, you know, quite a bit ways ahead of me. And then, you know, the next female behind me, it just, I, it kind of left me in no man's land. Um, so I kind of wanted to take another shot at, at the hundred mile distance on a, on a fast course. So. You mentioned before that you were running pretty high mileage for just maintenance mode and, and keeping that going even without a race on the schedule. So are you one of those people that, that likes to have something out there that you're working towards, or are you just fine not having a race on the calendar? Yeah. You know what? That's a good question. I feel like I've kind of, um, like 
you know, gone back and forth between those two. Um, and I've kind of, you know, just kind of taken it, um, year by year, honestly, with, in terms of like what excites me, um, in the past, I would definitely say that I enjoyed having, you know, a specific goal, uh, race on the calendar, something to train specifically for, um, but you know, with things with COVID, it's like, you know, I, I never really wanted to put all my eggs in one basket. Um, and sometimes I think there's a lot to be said about, um, kind of just maintaining your fitness, um, and then making that kind of, I, not that it was a last minute decision because it still gave me like seven weeks of, um, you know, a specific training block. Um, but I think it was good for my mental, um, aspect too. I didn't have this like anxiety building up over months about, you know, the USATF hundred mile championships. It was more of like, well, you know what? I, I, f- I'm feeling really good and healthy. I'm in a really good headspace right now. Yeah. Let's, let's add it to the calendar. Just see what I can do, you know, in the seven weeks leading up to it. Um, and just go for it. So that's kind of how I approach this training cycle. So this was a road 100 miler, but you live in the mountains. You love running in the mountains. We've talked about this many times. We don't have to revisit all of that. Um, but that's something that you enjoy doing. So what does a typical, you know, can maintenance or not even maintenance? Cause it, it, that makes it sound like this, like this is grand plan, but just if you're running without a goal in mind, but you're enjoying it and you're keeping fit and you keep training, what does, you know, how many days a week are you running? What's the mileage look like? What's the elevation look like? And we should say people who don't know you, you also co-own your own medical practice with your husband, Mitchell. So it's not like you're a professional athlete who is dedicating her entire life to this endeavor. Um, you know, so for this training block, and like I said, it was really like a seven week, uh, well, take out a week, you know, for my last week was pretty lower my, I mean, relatively speaking um, for the taper, but um, you know, so I had noted in the past, you know, and I, th- this is full disclosure here for anyone listening. I've been running for a long time, um, not necessarily at like a competitive level, um, but I do have, you know, a, a decade plus of like a significant aerobic base. Um, so when I mention these like mileage jumps, I don't want anyone to think like, oh, okay, you know, <laughs> let's go try that too. Um, you know, I've been playing sports. This is like the physician, the, the physician and coaching you as well. <laughs> yeah. you're like putting out these disclaimers. Right, right. Yeah. It's like I've been playing sports, you know, my whole life. So um, the aerobic base was definitely there. But um, you know, I've always been kind of more on the high, higher mileage side, um, in terms of, I mean, it's all relative, like I said, but, um, I'm sure if some other like professional marathoners were listening, they're like, mm, maybe not so, <laughs> I don't know, but, um, I, you know, I've always done, I've always seemed to do relatively well on the higher mileage side of things. Um, I'm, I know we've discussed this in the past, but, you know, fortunately, whether it's, you know, a, you know, genetics, nutrition, just, you know, honestly, maybe even biomechanics, I've been really fortunate to be, um, a pretty resilient runner. And by that, I just mean, I, I've, I, I hate talking about it. Cause it's like, you know, it seems kind of like a, a knock on wood situation, but I, I truly haven't had an injury, um, that has taken me out of running in like the past nine years. Um, so I've, I've kind of, I, I know, um, kind of like the mileage that I tend to tend to thrive at. Um, so for this specific training block, I knew, um, just kind of based on my recovery and how I felt at certain mileage points, um, during tunnel Hill this past November, I really knew that I needed to increase the mileage, um, and the specific time on my feet. Um, I had kind of approached that training cycle last fall, kind of just more similar to a marathon block. Um, I, I, my stress levels were actually really, really high, um, last fall. So I just kind of did what I could. Um, but I, I knew how I felt like at the 50 mile hundred K mark, 
um, that my training definitely could use some tweaks. Um, so that's what I did going into this um, training block this spring. Um, so I ended up running, um, you know, I got my mileage up into the, you know, the, I kind of gradually built up from the eighties where I was kind of maintaining a base. Um, I edged up into the nineties and then I held about five weeks, um, where I was running like over a hundred mile weeks. Um, I, I peaked at 112 miles, um, for this race. Um, you know, and that's, that was me largely running a lot of doubles. Um, you know, and for anyone listening, that just means running twice a day. Um, I, I honestly had to do that a lot of times to get the mileage just largely based on my schedule. I just didn't have like, you know, a set, like two hours to head out on a run. Um, so I, I, I kind of split up some of the, the mileage in that way. Um, I think in that five week time span where I was all, you know, at, at or above a hundred miles uh, per week, I think I really only took one rest day. Um, I think I may have t- taken two rest days total though. Um, but I typically do like to build in like full rest days for me. And I, at, at this point, like in my athletic journey, I really just kind of listen to my body. If I'm feeling really, really tired, if there's any like residual soreness that I typically wouldn't feel after, you know, like a threshold workout or something like that, I just completely rest. And in the past for me, that's looked like, well, maybe I'll do a bit of like cross training. Like we, we have a rower. Um, but this past training block, I, I was honestly really lazy on my, on my rest days. Um, I just didn't do anything at all in order to let my body recover. Um, and just out of the utmost caution too, since the mileage was kind of new territory for me and I, I really didn't want to get injured. Yeah, absolutely. And you're doing a hundred mile road race where the elevation is not going to be that, that huge of a factor. Not that it's pancake flat. There is something going on. Um, so how did your elevation, like how did elevation play a factor in your training, preparing for a race that doesn't really focus on it? Yeah. You know, so it was actually kind of good timing. Um, you know, here where I live, at least in, in Evergreen, Colorado, um, you know, the trails are still kind of pretty muddy. I mean, so we've gotten some pretty intense snowfall to this past April, um, so I kind of, I, I backed off like my super, super hilly routes. Um, I still ran, I still ran like all around my neighborhood. That's kind of like a mix of, um, road, dirt, gravel, um, some like minor uh, trail sections. Um, you know, and that elevation is, it's, it's Colorado flat, but, um, you know, that's about, I don't know, around a hundred feet per mile. But to me, that's, you know, here in the, in my neighborhood, that's honestly like not terrible. Um, so I, um, that's, I, I just kept most of my mileage around the neighborhood. I wasn't heading out like onto the trails, but like I said, it's, it's a pretty muddy season right now too. So, you know, it's, it's not like, I didn't feel like I was missing out. Um, you know, I'll get back out onto the trails once things dry up this summer. Um, but kind of going along with that too, um, you know, this race in Nevada was really, really hot. And that was my, probably my biggest concern, um, going into the race, just because like, I, I live at high altitude. Like I said, we've had a lot of like kind of crazy snowfall, um, this past month. So, um, you know, for all you runners out there that, you know, are on the treadmill throughout the winter, I definitely implemented a lot of treadmill running, um, not, not necessarily to avoid like elevation gain, but so that I could get proper heat training. And, um, you know, that looked like me wearing wool tights, a wool long sleeve, like a down vest, um, and being on the treadmill, no fans, um, just kind of getting that exposure therapy to that, because I, that was probably the biggest, um, kind of factor that was 
starting to give me a little bit of anxiety, just knowing that some of the other runners in the, in the elite field, you know, were coming from like some of the Southern States, um, Arizona, things like that. So I, I knew that they were going to be very prepared um, for the heat. So I wanted to be able to do also bring my best um, with that aspect too. Yeah, luckily it was, was it 66 degrees and 18% humidity? I mean, that's obviously not like 45 degrees, which would be pretty close to ideal, depending on like, you know, sun and things like that. Um, was that, did you view that as, as, as a little on the warm side for you, especially coming out of winter? You know, that, that was the temperature at the start and that like felt totally fine. Um, but it did spike up to like 88 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, um, shoot. Sorry about that. Yeah. At the, yeah. At, no, no, you're fine. Um, at the, at the peak of the day. Um, and it, you know, I don't know. Um, you know, I was kind of just so much in the zone. Um, and I had like an impeccable crew. My husband, I owe everything to him in terms of what we practiced. Um, like how he kept me cool, like the entire race. Um, and we can chat about those things too, but, um, yeah, it did spike up to 88 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't, I don't know, like at what point it got that hot. I just know that, um, like, I think I, I think I was, I wasn't really paying attention honestly to my watch, but I was keeping track of like, um, total elapsed time. So I was thinking, okay, you know, the race started at 8 AM. I knew, you know, I knew like roughly when it was supposed to get a lot warmer. Um, and I think I ran for four hours before I then switched into like a white long sleeve, um, and wore that like basically until the sun went down. Um, so yeah, it did feel, it did feel hot for sure. But, you know, I, I think I, I honestly, I kept going back and forth. I'm like, did I do enough heat training for this? Um, but I, in the past, I've never really, like, I haven't really just totally struggled in all out heat. Um, at least in terms of like ultra running, um, there's never been any significant health issues like sodium loss or things like that. Um, so I honestly felt pretty good in it. And I, I think like, you know, the, the heat exposure and training that I did indoors, uh, really helped with that. So you ran an average of 845 mile pace for this, and you were remarkably consistent in that endeavor. So that was, it was looking at the splits is, you know, it's crazy. So there's two ways to look at the splits, right? You can go to the official site where it has the splits by lap, which is roughly 1.2 miles. Um, or just like looking at your GPS data over on Strava is another way of doing it. Obviously, when you're doing a closed loop GPS will never be quite perfect, but um, either way, the moral of the story is extremely consistent. So that begs the question of when you go into a race like this, and obviously your goal is to, you know, have that consistency. So you don't have these wild swings and you're able to pace yourself accordingly. How do you know? what pace is the right pace for hundred miles? It's not like you're doing a hundred mile race in practice. Um, you know, that's a really good question. And I feel like something that I'm still, um, you know, trying to really dial in, um, you know, and I felt like I did a much better job of it. Um, you know, this past weekend, um, compared to my, my last effort at tunnel Hill really, um, you know, and, and all my athletes know me as this, like, I am not, pace focused whatsoever. I mean, obviously pace, you know, pace does matter. Um, but I, I do everything off effort. Um, and that's how I approach training. Um, I brought all my easy miles, like way, way down. Like I, you know, throughout training, I mean, um, you know, we always hear that concept spoken about a lot, but I think that was imperative to me, um, in terms of like learning, okay. Like, even though, you know, 
I, you know, I can run 715 pace and it feels easy. That's not realistic, you know, for it to just go out and try to maintain like during a hundred mile race. Um, so, you know, when Friday morning came around, um, I, you know, I, I made sure I wasn't going to go out super hot. Um, I knew not to, you know, kind of dig myself into a hole. Um, and I just, I made sure that the effort felt easy the whole time. I made sure I was able to maintain a conversation with fellow runners. Um, I made sure to just regulate my breathing the whole time. Um, I knew, you know, that, you know, the, the paces, I think I ran, I don't know what the average pace I ran, but I know I was like sub eight minute per mile through like 50 K I think, or at least like through the 26.2 split. But, um, you know, and that, that felt very easy for me. So I wasn't really concerned about like, oh my gosh, am I, you know, running too hard? Should I back off? Um, you know, and another factor too is like, you know, we, we always talk about like the worst idea, like in terms of a road marathon or even half in any, um, you know, sub ultra distance, the worst idea is to try to bank time, obviously. However, in a hundred miler with certain weather conditions and other factors at play, um, sometimes you can strategize in that regard. Um, so I knew, okay, I knew when I first started the race that it was going to be a little bit cooler. I knew, it, you know, temperatures would spike for a certain amount of time. And then I knew I would have, you know, a few hours once the sun was starting to set. Um, so I, that was kind of on my mind too, but I just knew like, okay, like it's don't go out super, super hard though, and dig yourself into a hole to where you're tired by the time, you know, the sun's really beating down and it's in those upper eighties. So um, like I said, I, I really just kind of went off effort in terms of keeping it easy. So, so many of us know the importance of practicing race pace when we're running um, races, you know, whether it's the mile all the way up to the marathon. And it's important to practice those. Obviously, your race pace for the 100 mile is slower than your easy pace. So what are the benefits, if any, of practicing that pace when it's again, slower than your easy pace? Like, are there benefits to it? Or is that something you can just kind of relax into? Yeah, you know what, that's, like I said, that's something that I'm still kind of learning too. Um, you know, and definitely learning from the our country and the world's greatest and in terms of what they, you know, how they approach training in that way. Um, I think for me, um, you know, like I said, I did slow down a lot of my easy paces. It was like, okay, you know, it's not really going to help me to run at this like, you know, seven to seven fifteen pace. Um, cause it's not really working a specific system for me. Um, I tried to focus more on time on my feet on this training block. And I did not, you know, it, to me, it was just like, whatever pace I run, I run. Um, and knowing that, you know, I, I truly never really ran like a long run though at like eight forty five pace. Um, so, you know, I think I peaked my long run at, at about 30 miles. Um, and I think I averaged about like eight flat or like seven fifty-eight minutes per mile for that run. Um, that was a really hot day. Actually, I ran that run down in Denver. Um, I think it was in like the mid eighties. Um, I think the, the, the goal with that, even though you're not running like at specific a hundred mile pace, at least for me, was that in my mind, I just knew the pace will feel easier on race day. And I think it's kind of framing your training in that way, you know, similar to, um, you know, running that like threshold effort and knowing that, you know, the more you expose yourself to threshold effort, like the easier marathon pace will feel. I think I kind of took that similar approach, just knowing like, okay, like, you know, I'm likely not going to average, you know, eight flat on race day. Um, but, um, you know, I'm doing it for 30 miles and that should kind of, you know, 
frame things and put, put things into perspective when it, when it is actually come race day. So in addition to time on feet and you're you know running in the 80, 90, 100 mile range um, leading into the race, were you, were you doing other things, excuse me, were you doing other things that would also um, be, help you become a stronger runner in terms of like, were you doing, you know, speed workouts of, of various kinds or were you doing weight training? Obviously, you're spending a lot of time doing a lot of other things in your life as well. So I just want to know, like, if there's if there are other places for that, or if it you is it most more just a time on feet issue. Um, yeah. So you know, after Tunnel Hill, I wasn't super pleased with how um, like I had like significant quad soreness, and I just knew you know that I knew that was something that I could correct, um, particularly with weight training. Um, so I definitely made it a priority this past training block to get in um, like two days a week of strength training. Um, now sometimes I was a little bit sporadic with it. Sometimes it went down to one day a week. Um, but I did prioritize that just knowing like doing things like that is, I just knew it was going to help make my body more calloused, um, more like bulletproof, um, for the distance. Um, so yes, I did strength train, you know, in hindsight, you know, hindsight's always 2020. And I, I feel like I'm also a perfectionist too. Uh, in hindsight, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, like I could have been more like intentional with my strength work. Like, was I just going through the motions with a kettlebell? Um, so I, I'm always looking for ways to improve. But um, but then to circle back, yes, I was. I also did maintain speed work. Um, you know, I, I wasn't out on the track like hammering short intervals by any means. Um, but I did keep up with you know strides. Um, There's mostly like threshold and marathon pace work. I didn't do like too much. You know, like you know, real high intensity. Um, you know, but I did maintain like one minute, two minute, three minute interval work. Um, and I really just kind of took it week by week, how my legs were feeling. Um, I know there was one week, I think it was like my other, my second or third, um, like back to back, you know, triple digit week where my legs were just shot. I was really, really tired. Um, I knew I was kind of, I knew my legs were kind of trying to adapt to the, you know, the back to back high mileage. So I just thought, you know what, I'm going to back off. I'm not going to do any speed this week. Um, and then I was able to rebound and, and get back into to a routine um, with speed work the following week. So I, I really just listened to my body each week. For the lifting, how would you describe it? Like, I guess, for example, is it one of those like you have folks that, you know, even Mary Johnson, who, who you who you coach with, who is a big proponent of like, you know, heavy lifting, um, short reps. And there's you, know, you go the complete other end of the the extremes. So where did you fall in there? Um. I, you know, I honestly, I followed a lot of like Mary's strength work that she writes, um, for her athletes, um, and, and the coaching team as well. Um, I didn't necessarily do a lot of like super, super heavy lifting. I think it was more of like just intentional, um, like just loading weight, like on my legs. I mean, I did some upper body too. Um, but I would say it was more of like, um, like just, functional exercises as opposed to like super, super heavy, um, heavy lifting with, um, like lesser reps. Okay. One more question before we get into the race, we're doing this huge preamble of the training, but I'm fascinated by this and I'm sure there's other people who would be as well. Angela Pohl over in the, uh, the rambling runner, uh, community corner Facebook group actually has a question for you about sleep. So um, this is something that so many of us, uh, whether we're running or not, have to deal with. So she's curious about how much sleep was typical for you during your peak weeks of training. 
Yeah, that's Angie. Thank you so much for the question. Um, that was actually something that um, my, my parents actually drove out for the race. And we were, you know, after the race, we were all kind of chatting about um, things that I really tried to focus more on uh, this training block. And the thing that I really prioritized was sleep. Um, it was kind of like a non-negotiable for me in order to get like at least eight hours of sleep. Um, my, my poor Mitchell can attest to this. I was like laying down, like the sun was still up. Um, but, you know, I mean, I was like, <laughs> there were some days where I was like, you have to, like, this is imperative. Like, it, you know, and I think that, um, I can't remember who said this quote, but, um, it's, it's all about having like having the confidence to rest and having the confidence in your recovery, um, as opposed to putting everything into your training. Um, and by, I mean, to me, resting and sleep is training. Um, and that's, that's something that's just really critical to me. Um, but I mean, like I, I really prioritize getting at least eight hours of sleep every night, um, particularly for that those five weeks where I was up and over a hundred miles. Um, you know, I just think, I think that's the key, um, you know, to good recovery and, um, making sure you stay, you know, healthy and and not injured is making sure you're getting enough sleep, which I know can be tough. Um, you know, it's tough for me too with my schedule, but it was just one of those things where it was like, no, like you can't watch a movie or like 10 office episodes tonight. Like you have to lay down. (laughs) That leads me into the next question. I said one more question. I'm going to add another question. Um, so you're running a lot. You're sleeping a lot. You're working a lot. We'll talk about nutrition later. You're eating a lot because you're training a lot. So what were the thing or things that you consciously chose to give up because it, there just wasn't going to be enough time? Yeah. Um, I will say like my social life was pretty minimal. Um, you know, I, I really appreciate, I'm so appreciative of my friends, um, here in Colorado that, um, knew kind of the level that I was trying to train at. Um, and I, I'm appreciative for them for, for understanding when I, I just couldn't get together, you know, um, you know, for late night stuff and things like, not that I'm a partier by any means, I'm like an old lady, but, um, I feel like that went by the wayside. Um, I'm trying to think. I, you know, honestly, this training block took so much time management um, so that, you know, A, my quality with my patients didn't go down. You know, the last thing I ever want is to be like falling asleep, you know, in a patient encounter or something like that. Um, you know, as well as like the quality of my coaching. Um, I, I lead an amazing team of athletes. And the last thing I wanted was to, you know, place myself above any of their training and their goals. Um so I don't know, it's kind of tough to say, like, it feels like such a blur when I look back. Um, but I, I would definitely say like the, so my social life kind of fell by the wayside. Um, it was really kind of like going to bed early, getting up early so I could get those runs in, you know, going to work, um, you know, cooking, making sure I was eating enough, um, and then just repeating it all over again. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who use it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in the stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that 
getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it. But I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. Hey, everybody, do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like, so you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options, and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. All right, so let's talk about race day. So it comes upon you. What were the logistics that you and Mitchell planned out to make sure that this race would go as smoothly as it could? Obviously, you are and you are an experienced ultra runner. Your husband is also an experienced ultra runner. So you guys really came at this obviously with with plenty of knowledge uh, going in. Yeah. Um, so like I like I said before, the critical piece to I felt like succeeding at this race was um, like thriving in the heat. Um, and like I said, I, I typically haven't had, you know, issues in the past where it's like, oh my gosh, like I got to drop out, you know, I'm just ill from the heat. I haven't really ever struggled like that. But like I said, it was like, you know, I, I live in the mountains. We're coming out of like a very snowy winter. I just didn't know, you know, if I would be able to, like I said, match, um, the kind of heat exposure that like a lot of the other elites, um, were able to get in. Um, so the biggest thing for me, um, you know, and all my athletes know this, um, I am such a crazy stickler about nutrition on the run. Like it's again, like sleep, it is just a non-negotiable for me. Um, I, I know myself, I know like that I'm kind of like a calorie monster in terms of like, I need to start eating early and I need to, I need to eat consistently. And it's just like, I, even if I'm starting to feel like, Oh, like kind of like gaggy cause it's hot or something like that. It's like, 
I, I have a routine where I walk myself through mentally um, in terms of like, like eating is going to help you. It's never going to hurt you to eat more. Um, and I, it's just something that I have always prioritized in training. Um, so that being said, um, you know, so I guess I'll just start with my nutrition. Um, I knew that I was going to be eating at least around 100 to 250 calories every 30 minutes. Um, and um, like, I, I don't have any affiliation, but big, big shout out to Spring Energy um, because I, I just did so well. I do really, really well with their products. Um, and I was able to actually, that's the only nutrition I ate the entire race with the exception of um, some instant mashed potatoes. <laughs> Um, that I typically start to, um, start to crave around like 50 to 50 mile to hundred K mark. Um, so that, and that, I think that was a big factor too. I, I never stopped eating. Um, you know, a lot of runners and ultra runners out there can attest. It's like, you just know it's bad when your appetite, it just stops. Um, so fortunately, like I said, I was able to get in anywhere from hundred to 250 calories every 30 minutes. Um, my, my husband Mitchell also had like a stopwatch going like an alarm set just on his phone. Um, since it was a looped course, um, I was also drinking a significant amount. Um, I, um, I was picking up a bottle. I think my bottle is like 17 ounces, 17 to 20 ounces. Um, I think I was going through a, a bottle at least every, I want to say like 45 minutes. Um, and that was kind of what we had estimated, um, in training, at least when I was, when I was heat training, that's about how much I was drinking. Um, so yeah, that fortunately went flawlessly. Um, the, the other aspect of kind of getting through this race in terms of, um, crewing, um, is that I started out, like, I, I just knew I'm like, even though, you know, at the start line, like you mentioned, like 66 degrees, like that's not crazy hot by any means. Um, but I just knew that I needed to start early with keeping my core um, body temperature down. Um, so what that looked like for me is I had two hats, um, that had pockets in the sides for ice. Um, as, as things progressed, we ended up just like soaking it, like stuffing it with ice, just, you know, it was taking too long. But, um, so I had, I had those two hats. I also had, um, ice bandanas. Um, and again, a huge shout out my, my friend, Jake Jackson, um, just a standout 24 hour runner. His wife, um, makes these awesome ice bandanas, um, that me and tons of the other athletes were using. Um, and I, I just kept that around my neck the entire time. Um, that helps keep everything cool, particularly like in your, with your carotid arteries there. Um, it just helps keep your core temperature down. Um, and then my husband Mitchell was also soaking me, um, with, you know, like a cold, we, we had a big bucket of like ice water, tons of sponges, every single lap he was soaking me. Um, yeah, you guys have, you, you just shared a great picture of that. <laughs> it was like, it was like, cause it was obviously done a little bit later in the race cause you weren't. It doesn't look like you're really enjoying yourself right. during, yeah. during the, yeah. that you didn't enjoy during the experience, but just like, oh my God, here we go again. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, this was honestly, this was my first time managing that kind of heat in this, um, you know, distance. Um, but I mean, you know, you're probably very familiar with Zach Bitter. Um, you know, he, I saw him doing the exact same thing wearing, um, you know, we were kind of dressed similarly with like, you know, white, um, I think he had on like white arm sleeves. I had on a white long sleeve, um, which can actually help keep you cooler just because it takes so much energy. Like if you're running in a sports bar or something like that, it just takes so much energy out of your, your whole body to, in order to cool your skin. Um, so it's, 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 it can be better to just cover, um, cover your arms, um, and your torso. 
Um, and, you know, with, with clothing that likes to hold moisture. Um, and I, I think Zach also posted about it too, but um, just getting doused in water eat with each lap, um, you know, and since it was a looped course, um, as we kind of came around the back half of the, of, of the loop, um, we, we started to hit it, but like, and it wasn't significant wind, but we started to hit a breeze and that really helped keep everything cool since we were like wet. Um, so that was, that was really, really crucial, um, to have that on each lap. Um, and that's what Mitchell and I had discussed, um, leading into this and, and what we had planned. So. And because your average lap pace, not mile pace, but lap pace was a shade over 10 minutes, it must have worked out great for you in terms of like you didn't have to carry it to nutrition. You could just pick it up as you were going by. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was honestly flawless. I, you know, I can't say it enough. I could not have done it without my husband, Mitchell. So. All right. So we know you came in first. You came in third overall. It was the sixth fastest 100 mile time for female in American history. Unbelievable stats. Thank you. At what point in the race does it go from, okay, I'm just out here managing my effort, managing my cooling systems, managing my food, all of that stuff. At what point does it evolve from that managing uh, threshold to, okay, now we are racing or does it ever get to that point? Yeah, that, that's a really great question as well. Um, so, you know, fortunately Mitchell knows me so, so well and knows my personality, um, that he, he actually held off for quite a while, um, before telling me, um, like where everything stood in the race. Um, I'll be honest though. I, um, you know, I, and I think I, I shared this online too, but, I did not go into this race, you know, with the goal of winning by any means that, you know, I was honestly just as shocked as um, probably everyone else was about that. Um, I went into this race just with the goal to get the best out of myself. I knew that I knew that I had more to give um, since last fall. And that's all that I focused on. Um, you know, my Mitchell and I kind of sat down the day before the race and we talked about like what's relevant and what's not um, what, you know, what not to let get into my head, um, particularly because this is hands down the most competitive field I've ever lined up with um, in terms of ultra racing. That's for sure. Ultra running. Um, so Mitchell actually waited. You know, I don't know at what point I, I can't I couldn't tell you like the mileage um, where we were at, but he waited until it was absolutely necessary for me to know um, that I was now in the lead um, and that I was also third overall. Um, and I, I can tell you, he told me that as I was coming through and I said, what? <laughs> I had no idea. Cause I, I just, all I was doing, I was just running. I, I was just in the zone and I was just doing exactly what a, that I love doing. Um, that, you know, I, I've told you so many times, it's like, I just love to run, um, and, you know, and, and get the best out of myself. Um, and I think it was awesome that I wasn't fixated on place. I mean, of course I went into this race with the hope of being competitive that, you know, that was also kind of, you know, obviously a secondary goal. Um, but it was also tough to keep track just because it wasn't, you know, we weren't on a 400 meter track. It wasn't, you know, a succinct one mile loop. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, it takes way too much energy to keep focusing each time your watch beeps. I wasn't even looking at my mile splits. Um, so, you know, I, it was kind of tough to keep track too, because it was like, I would come through, I had a great day in terms of, I, you know, my, the, the amount of time that I stopped, um, you know, for food and things like that was pretty, um, minimal, you know, compared to my, my previous races. 
Um, but it was, it was tough to keep track too. Cause I didn't know like who ahead of me had like taken a break and was like in their aid station. It was just, it was tough to, um, just keep track of where exactly everyone was. Um, you know, I, I never looked, looked behind me by any means. Um, but I, I didn't know, I just didn't know how far out, you know, how spaced out everyone was. Um, I knew I, I it, it was becoming obvious to me that a lot of the runners were struggling. Um, you know, I, the, the men's field was incredibly deep. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of sharing some miles out there, um, with some of the men who, I, you know, were, were having to walk some of the laps. Um, and I knew the heat was getting to everyone, but like I said, I, I didn't know for a very long time, uh, where exactly I, I stood in the race. So when you found that out, did, is that something that you started to focus on, um, at that point or like, why did Mitchell find it necessary to tell you when he did tell you? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think, um, and there was a lot of, um, there was like USATF, um, you know, members out there since it was a sanctioned race. Um, you know, and there's a lot of other, um, you know, runners out there that were, um, crewing, um, for like some, some of the elite runners out there too. And I think everyone was starting to realize like, whoa, like you, you know, if she can just, <laughs> if she can just stay steady, um, and not just absolutely blow up. Um, if you can just maintain, um, that I had a really decent shot of not getting caught and, and being able to take the win. Um, and then, you know, as well as take third overall too. Um, <laughs> So, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy. I, I don't know. I just, I knew, I, I knew that I felt great and I knew that all I had to do, like, I wasn't asking myself to do anything more than what I'd already been doing. And I think that's really, really helpful. Um, not just for ultra running, but for, um, like any, any race situation or even, even when you're in training too. Um, I think it's good to just remind yourself like, Hey, I'm not asking my body to, you know, pick up the pace and start running like six flat or something like that. All I'm, all I'm asking my body to do is what it's been doing this entire time. Um, and I think that really helped keep me level headed, um, and not like, Oh my gosh, like I, you know, I'm ahead of who right now. And I, I have to maintain this, you know, seven minute lead for how long? Um, so were you able to stay focused the whole time or at the end did it, did the, the mental faculties start to wane a little bit? Um, you know, I, it was starting like once, once Mitchell told me and, and once, you know, it was becoming apparent to me that, you know, the current race, the race situation, um, I was able to still stay focused. That's for sure. But I think by the time I was like really, really deep into the pain cave, you know, I'm talking like mile 90, you know, those last 10 miles, I think, the, the mental kind of pressure was starting to catch up with me of like, you know, cause I was coming around each lap and, you know, all these cheers, like, you know, keep going, like you're about to like run this upset. Like, I think, um, I got to a point where I, I mean, I was, I was certainly still enjoying myself, but I almost just wanted it to be done so that I knew the outcome. Um, cause I was, I just, I was starting to feel all this, this pressure of like wanting to like, you know, make everyone like, you know, happy and, um, you know, finish strong. And I was able to stay focused physically, but I think, um, you know, by the time those last few laps started to tick off, I was, I was like, oh my gosh, like it was just so hard to process. Um, cause it's just not a situation I ever thought I would find myself in. Um, you know, I'm definitely my last lap. I was super out of it. And I, I think honestly, it was more of like the, the, just trying to keep my mental space, um, focused as opposed to the, the physical aspects. I mean, my goodness. And you come <laughs> home with the win, you know, Mitchell's there. He, you know, he, you cross the finish line, arms up, hug him. Then you basically deposited into a chair. 
at that point, I mean, is it just pure relief? I mean, what what are the emotions that are going through you as you've obviously done this amazing thing? And then you've also finally been able to be like, okay, I no longer have to stand up and run anymore. So what what are what are like the, the range of emotions that you're going through at that point? I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is that like I have respected and looked up to all of the runners that I lined up with for this race for so long now. I, I mean, I can't express it enough um, how much respect I have for Camille Heron, for Micah, um, Micah Morgan, um, Marissa Lizak. Um, Marissa is also an American record holder. And as we all know, uh, Camille Heron is the world record holder. Um, Micah is also eighth in the world um, for the 24 hour. Um, I mean, just to line up with these women, let alone the men that were out there as well. I mean, it was a dream come true for me. Um, and I remember telling Micah the day before the race at Packet Pickup, like I was just so excited to be able to get the best out of myself just in terms of working with these women um, and the men too. Um you know, and I think, you know, I've always, that's been a really big thing to me is that I'm, I'm just always so grateful for each race, especially after COVID. Um, you know, of course, races don't really mean, you know, really anything after what, you know, all of us have been through and the, the world has been through, but, um, I just lined up with so much gratitude. Um, you know, and as it, as things started to really get tough later on in the race, I, you know, I, I, when I lined up, I, I don't think really anyone besides you know, like my, you know, Mitchell, my parents, and I, I had a handful of friends, um, like Micah's husband and things like that, that were there that knew me and knew my name. But, you know, I, I it was blowing my mind because, you know, as the final laps were ticking off, I mean, I, I, it was like a pinch me moment. I, I mean, I was running through and like everyone was on their feet, um, like screaming my name and, it just, it felt so surreal. And I, I just can't underscore how grateful I am to have had that kind of a day. Um, and if I can help inspire anyone, um, that was out there or that followed along just to, to just reach for the stars. Cause you just never know, you just never know how the day is going to unfold. Um, and if you can just focus on running your race and doing what you did, um, in training and in practice, um, like I said, you just never know how things are going to pan out. Um, so to me, like crossing that finish line, it did not feel real. I don't know that it will ever feel real. Um, like I said, to just have had such an amazing day and to, like I said, have achieved my goal just of simply getting the best out of myself by working with all of these runners that I've looked up to my, for years now. So just very grateful for it. Earlier, when I asked you about pacing and like, do you need to practice race pace because it's, it's slower than your easy pace? Your your response was, well, I'm trying to learn from these amazing runners, so on and so forth. You just had a 40-minute course record, sixth fastest all-time 100-mile race for an American female. You are one of those people now. And you're a national champion. You are at that level. You have proven it. This is not just me saying things because I'm a friend of yours and yeah. I like talking to you. Yeah. This, these are facts now. Has that set in yet? I don't think it has, Matt. And like I said, I, I don't know that it ever will. I mean, I, obviously I'm a very, like, I'm a realist and, an, um, I, like, I know what I, I did. And, and honestly, you know, I knew in my mind, like when I finished and like just processing the race and the days after I, it wasn't, my performance wasn't necessarily like, it didn't shock me but simply because I, you know, I knew, I knew that I had it in me to, to dip under 15 hours. Um, 
I just didn't know in terms of, you know, the race conditions, it being a really hot day. Um, I, I have not gone longer than a hundred miles and many of the runners that I lined up with have gone. I mean, the, I think the most is like 248 miles in 48 hours. I mean, I, I don't have that 24 hour, you know, racing experience. Um, but my performance and my time, it didn't really shock me just because I knew, I knew what I had done in training. Um, and I knew that I was able, I mean, and my husband Mitchell reminded me the night before the race, he's like, training is the hard part. You got through that and you got through that uninjured, you know, healthy, a healthy mind space. Um, you know, and he was like, now all you have to do is go out and celebrate it. And that's, I, I know it sounds cheesy and it's something that a lot of coaches tell athletes, but I can't underscore, you know, the, you know, the validity of that. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, I wasn't necessarily shocked um, by how strong I felt just because it is what I practiced in training, but did it shock me? Um, like how everything unfolded and taking home the national title? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> One topic that has been at the forefront of running now for the last 12 to 18 months and probably should have been for much longer than that is the idea that representation matters. And we're seeing that in all forms. We're not just seeing it in media, but in so many, in so many places. Um, this is not a topic that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about on our various shows. But when you think about that topic, you think about now you're the national championship for a hundred miles. What does that mean for you? What does that mean to you? I should say. Yeah, you know, I and not to I know like, you know, I know racial issues have been like at the forefront, um, you know, and we've you know, the whole world has watched as we've addressed these issues that, you know, have needed to be addressed, you know, for decades now. And um it, it honestly it's you know, I'm I'm half Chinese. Um, you know, my mom is of um Asian heritage. It's really cool to be out there, um, you know, and I I adore the sport. I love ultra running so much, but I think, um, you know, and for, for mul a multitude of reasons, um, it has largely not been the most diverse sport out there. Um, and a lot of times too, just, just with women as well, you know, you see, if you go on ultra sign up, um, particularly, and not necessarily, um, you know, th this specific race, but if you look at some of, you know, the mountain ultra races, um, you know, the field is always like male dominated and m much more male heavy. I think things are starting to turn a little bit. Um, but I, you know, I, I think it's so wonderful that, um, you know, someone that is a, maybe of mixed heritage, like I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm also five, two. Um, I'm not really, <laughs> you know, I'm not, maybe if you look at me, you might not think I'm like the most athletic looking person, but, um, I think it's really neat that maybe someone out there can say, you know, oh my gosh, like I, I look like her. Um, you know, maybe I can do that too. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on again to talk about all of this I really appreciate it. One last question before we go. You were on Road to the Trials. Uh, and obviously, the track trials are now coming up quick. Uh, we are two months to go. And we talk, uh, we, we spoke about this in our last show, but I would love to get your reflections now. Um, you know, you know, shoot, the 2020 marathon trials are something that you were shooting for. It didn't come to fruition. When that became a reality, and certainly you, know, you had that as a goal, and certainly there was going to be, um, some negative feelings that unfortunately didn't, didn't happen for you. Would have you had imagined that something like this was potentially on the horizon? Because man, we should have like <laughs> did a whole different spinoff podcast if I knew this was going to happen. I know. No, no, I had no idea. Um, you know, I think um, for anyone listening out there, I think what's really, really key is just kind of 
tuning out all the noise and really just reflecting inward and really considering what makes you excited and following your heart. Um, you know, I, like I've mentioned so many times, I love running. I love, you know, I really love any distance, um, you know, and kind of tackling that. Um, but I just knew deep down in my heart that I had kind of, um, you know, I, I hadn't typically enjoyed the hundred mile distance in the past. That's largely due to training though. And I know that's something we've discussed, um, previously. So it really excited me to see what I could do with more intentional specific training, um, for the distance. And, um, yeah, I, I can't say enough things about just listening to your heart and and doing what uh, makes you happy. Stephanie, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If someone you mentioned, we mentioned before that you are a coach, so I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to kind of plug that. Where if someone wants to learn more about working with you, where should they go? Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a coach with Lift Run Perform. Um, like I said, I lead an amazing team of athletes. We have so much fun together. Um, my, um, you can the easiest way to find me is just on Instagram. Probably um, my handle is Stephanie Ann Flippin. Um, we could probably, you could probably put that in the, the show notes on, on the spelling. Um, that's for sure. But, yes, um, but yeah, feel free to shoot me, um, shoot me a message and we can connect. There you go. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much. Thank you. Ashley Mateo, thank you so much for coming on the show for our Friday running between the lines segment. Not only that, but for listening the first time that I butchered the introduction to this segment. I really appreciate it. Uh, you recently put out a piece over on Women's Running Mag, uh, which I really enjoyed, and I can't wait to talk to you about. So the title of it, uh, title of it rather, is All Runners Should Walk More, Here's Why and How to Include It in Your Training, with the subtitle of uh, Simulate the Aerobic Benefits of Running Without Adding More Wear and Tear to Your Body. Man, this has never been more relevant to my life than right now, but this podcast is not just about me. So let's talk about why you wanted to pursue uh, this topic. Well, I think it's a topic that's super relevant to everyone right now. Um, For one, we're not training. So running to a specific schedule is a little less important than it was a year ago, although hopefully now we're heading back into races. Um, this summer and fall. But I think that there are a lot of people out there who are going a little stir crazy. We've been locked up in our houses for a long time. Now, walking was really one of the only ways to get out. And one of the important things that I've been really interested in over the past year is the idea of stress and exercise. So we've all been incredibly stressed out. And I think we forget that exercise is also stress. It's physical stress while we've been under an incredible amount of emotional stress. Those both count. They're not separate. They affect your body very similarly. And runners who want to run tend to forget that adding that level of stress on top of whatever stress you're dealing with in your life can be really detrimental. It takes a toll. It adds up. It makes what should feel easy feel a lot harder. And so walking is a way to still get an extra workout in to still add some stress to your body, but not quite the same amount of stress as running a workout or running a long run or anything like that might be. And so I think that is why walking has really resonated with people over the past year, especially with runners. It's just a nice way to get some exercise in and feel good without this cumulative effect of breakdown that running can cause. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, there are so many things in this article that like, pertain to me, not only in like, um, in like, hey, I'm an injured kind of way, but also in other things, right? It's like, I have a puppy. Mm-hmm. So I always wonder, like, all right, I'm out there walking my dog, like, 60 to 90 minutes a day. Again, it's a little bit more leisurely, but there are certainly points where, you know, I'm out there to try to wear him out. So we're going at the kind of the kind of paces that you talk about in this article. And there are certain points where I'm like, am I getting a benefit from this? I just really wasn't sure. And I know there's plenty of people who also are kind of the other side of the fence who maybe just like hiking. And they kind of get this sense of like, all right, this is this is probably helping my running. But to what degree? I mean, that's one of the ways I approached it. I moved to Colorado about a year and a half ago, and I really want to get into trail running, but it's hard. It's hard to run up at elevation here. And I would say, oh, I have to walk or it sucks that I have to walk, things like that. And my friends would correct me and say, no, you're power hiking. This is just as good. It's not about the run every second. And that sort of shifted my perspective on walking and how walking can be just as important as the running portion of a workout. And when I'm trail running, a lot of the times I can cover the same amount of ground walking, taking big strides, power hiking up a hill using way less energy than I would if I were running and huffing and puffing and wearing myself out. I did that for the first time in a trail race a couple weeks ago and netted out with a very respectable average pace, even though I walked a significant amount of the uphills in that race. So the point about walking, especially when you're using it as a training tool, is that it's active recovery. It's helping you build your aerobic base. And that's so important because having a strong aerobic base is what allows you to go faster and do more intense workouts when it counts. So if you're putting in that time on your feet, even even at a lower intensity, that is going to benefit you in the long run, even if it feels like you're being lazy or you're phoning it in in the short term. But you shouldn't think like that because that's the whole point of the article. You should shift your mindset and look at it as a tool. Look at walking as a tool and not a weakness. Yeah, the the aerobic base part, which is, I feel like, this phrase that is so often used. And I love that you actually put it in, in scientific terms, because it's one of those things where, like, I'm, like, I feel like I know what it means, but it was almost like like the Supreme Court's definition of pornography of like, you know it when you see it, but I, but no one quite can really describe it. Like what is and what it isn't almost the sense of like, all right, how fast should I run my easy runs or maybe even more apt for this conversation? Is there a such thing as running my easy runs too slow? I don't think so. I mean, I think an easy pace is always what feels good to you. What feels conversational I mean, I struggle hitting easy paces because I, I just want to run fast because I want to, <laughs> right. it is, I want to oftentimes it's just more fun to do that. Like I, I, I can totally get that. Exactly. But I've written so many stories and I'll let you read this one to get the, the sort of scientific medical basis for this. But those low intensity runs and walking are so important because they have different physiological benefits than running fast. And you need both benefits from both of those type of workouts to be a better runner overall, whether you're a sprinter, whether you're a distance runner, you need to do high and low intensity workouts to run fast in any scenario. Right. And you do a great job of not only expressing that, but then connecting them to where they're 
not only are they both important, but they're also interconnected where you need one to have the other. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where I think oftentimes it can be so easy to silo different things with like, okay, now I'm working on this pace or now I'm working at this heart rate level. And that, that I'm going to, by, by doing that, it will help me with these sorts of um, characteristics or factors that will result from that kind of work. And then if I do something else, then I'll get these other characteristics and results, whereas it's much more holistic. Mm-hmm. I think runners forget sometimes that at the end of the day, it's about time on feet. Obviously, to run fast, you have to run fast. You, you can't get around that. But I'm not a high mileage runner. I'm not somebody who does super high numbers of miles every week. I'm not somebody who hits super crazy paces. My body is much happier sort of in the middle zone. And I think walking is such a good way to add to that for somebody like me, somebody who doesn't respond well to 40 plus miles a week. And that's why I've incorporated hiking. I've incorporated second workouts, you know, on certain running days to get that extra time on my feet. I mean, I we didn't go into this in the article, and it's a whole different story, but I'm the queen of walking during workouts. I walked probably an extra half an hour within my six-mile workout today just because I wasn't feeling it, and I still wanted to get those six miles, so I took some walking breaks in between each mile, which gave me that active recovery that we talk about in the story and allowed me to pick back up the pace when I went into the next mile. So people ask me about marathons all the time if I ever walk during a marathon. And my answer is always, of course, I walk during a marathon. It's 26 miles. Like it, it takes me about four hours to run a marathon right now. And that's really hard to run for four hours straight. And like I said about trail running, I find that taking a little walk break allows me to recover enough that when I pick the pace back up, I can go faster than if I were to just slowly and steadily decline in my pace because it felt harder and harder throughout a run. So people who say that they never walk during a marathon, that's incredible. Good for you. I'm super impressed by you, but I walk through water stations. I walk at mile breaks sometimes. I walk whenever I need it. And I don't really feel bad about it because that's how I finish. And I still run two sub four hour marathons. So I think that's pretty respectable. Yeah, absolutely. And you brought up a great point just about your run today. And I appreciate you bringing it up, uh, not being in the article and all, is that it can be easy for a runner if a run isn't going well to feel defeated or to just want to quit if they can in terms of like proximity to where either their car is or their home is <laughs> in relation to where they're not feeling very good. Uh, and just be like, all right, I'm walking it in. This stinks, right? As if like, okay, once the walking starts the running or the workout has stopped, right? That there's this line of demarcation between these two paces and they will never be conjoined in a sense. And it's interesting to hear you talk about this because your article proves this. And it's interesting to see you put it into practice in the sense, because I feel like it's, while no one wants to feel bad on a run, it may be less defeating to know like, hey, here I go. I'm just going to be doing this other thing instead and that's not the worst thing ever either. Well, to your point before, I think a lot of times runners think about workouts or runs as hitting a certain pace or logging a certain mileage. And they forget that there are a lot of training plans out there solely based on time on feet. And walking is time on feet. 
So that counts. And there are obviously very important benefits to running consistently, to picking up the pace and slowing down to a still slower running pace within a workout, not taking breaks. Of course, I'm not saying that that doesn't have benefits on its own. But if you're just trying to get those miles done, if you're just trying to get out there and be healthy, I think that walking, taking those walk breaks still is still valuable. It still makes your run count. And like we talked about in the article, it's all about reframing your perspective on walking. It's not a weakness. It doesn't mean your run was bad. It just means that your body needed a little something else that day. And you still got the benefits of that low intensity aerobic workout and the stress on your bones and just being outside and being out in the world and being on your feet. That has huge mental health benefits. To say nothing of the part where you where you cite a study that says like even if you know you're running for parts of the day, if you're being sedentary and you're sitting for the vast majority of the day, and I found myself as now someone who's working from home for the past year, not because of COVID, I literally like quit my job and started working from home like a week before like COVID shut down Rhode Island. It was just <laughs> a crazy confluence of events, but I walk a lot less at home than I did at work, where like I worked at a college or a university for the last 15 years, it was nice just to watch the walk the grounds or like I just need to get away from my desk. So I would just go for a walk where I'm at home like, oh, I like this couch. I don't need to stand up. I'm feeling great. <laughs> um, but you mention in this article that like, hey, even if you're an active person, there are negative consequences if you're not up and moving around, even if you did go for a run, say, earlier in the day. Yeah, I think that is huge for people right now. We are so sedentary. Hopefully that will change a little bit now that things are opening back up again. But I know I can work all day melting into my couch or sitting at my counter or whatever. And then, yeah, I'll go out for a six-mile run and maybe I'll log 10,000 steps. But that's in one hour. That is not applicable to the rest of the day. The idea of hitting 10,000 steps on all these wearables and fitness tracking things is that you're supposed to be doing it throughout the day, over the course of the day, not in one go. And so the study that you mentioned, I thought that was so interesting because when I interviewed the study authors for a different story uh, in Runner's World, they really highlighted the fact that doing it in one go doesn't count. I think the number was you want to get 8,500 steps throughout the day in order to offset that exercise resistance effect. And that does not count in your run. If you hit 8,500 8, steps in one run within an hour, that's great. You still need to do another 8,500 steps. Maybe it's not exactly those numbers, but the point being, it's about consistent movement throughout the day. It's not about hoarding all your movement into one hour and then using that as an excuse to melt into your couch for the rest of the day. Right. Basically like the movement equivalent of like intermittent fasting. Exactly. <laughs> Ashley, this was a really good piece. Thank you so much for sharing some of the thought that went into it and some of the things that you were considering putting into it. I know you can't include everything, uh, but this was really well done. So thank you so much for sharing some of it with us today. If people are interested in reading it or some of your other work, where should they go? Uh, well, they can find this article on womensrunning.com. Also, it is in the spring 2021 issue, which is on newsstands right now. Um, otherwise, you can follow me on Instagram, just at Ashley Mateo, and that's where 
all of my stories are and all of my running thoughts and photos and journey. It's all there. There you go. All right, Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you. Ashley and Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to Stephanie. Of course, you may, again, I said in the intro that she is a good friend of the show, and that's exactly right. Uh, she was also on, as you heard, on Road to the Trials Season 1, and we've had well, a handful of episodes over on The Rambling Runner. So go check those back episodes out if you haven't listened to her already. A lot of them are evergreen, so it doesn't really matter if uh, if you didn't listen to them um, when they first came out. So also big shout outs to our sponsors, McCurdy Trained and Inside Tracker. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, go share it with a friend. I would really appreciate it. Have a great day and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest of states these days. This representation of song brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.